When I was a teenager growing up in our home church, there were a lot of faithful families that uh, I really, really came to be impressed with and made a lot of impressions on me for sure. One of them was the Burdett family. And uh, they were regular fixtures at uh, Southland Church and always helping out and just a neat, neat family. And while the adults knew and respected uh, uh, Jack Burdett, he was the patriarch of this family, it was my privilege to grow up with his kids. And uh, there was a Jack's son, whose name also was Rick, and, and his son-in-law, who was soon to be his son-in-law, David, at that time, uh, he had a daughter named Barbie, and, and it's all, you know, just blessing upon blessing accompanied any conversation or contact you had with this family. And so when Jack Burdett passed away, his son, who also became a pastor, uh, preached his funeral. And he wrote the following tribute. He said, I'll never forget Christmas of 2003. I remember my dad sitting with each one of us grandchildren on the sofa during that last Christmas and talking to them. He was in his loving kind of way trying to challenge them and also say goodbye. But first, he wanted to give them some final instructions. And I think he knew that they were his legacy after he was gone. You know, it would be his children and grandchildren that would carry the torch of his faith. And he wanted them to know some of the priorities that he had discovered in life. And of course, he'd shared them before, but, but now was different. He knew his time was short. So one final time... He put them into a small packet of words shared on the living room couch. He knew exactly what he was doing, and so did some of the rest of us. Now, the Bible tells us that, like Jack Burdett, Paul the Apostle left his heartfelt love letters behind him. His final instructions, you've got them all through the New Testament here, especially letters to Timothy and to Titus. And these would be his last. Listen to this summary of Paul's priorities taken from 1 Thessalonians. I want you to hear this. Chapter 5, verses 12 through 8. Here's what Paul's, uh, the essence of his ministry was about. He said, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else and be joyful always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to listen to the last verse of the second chapter of Titus. Again, Paul speaking to one that he's wanting to encourage and to help them in their ministry. He says, these then are the things that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone despise you. Now, I don't want you to miss what's happening here. The Apostle Paul is not sure if he's ever going to see these people again, at least this side of heaven. 2 Timothy 4, 6, he wrote this, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. And he knew that it was going to be near, and it was. So this morning, I want us, as we continue our series on looking into the future a bit, preparing for it, 
I want us to hear what the Apostle Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, has to say to help us understand how to kind of look in the present and the future in terms of our respect for those who are the leaders of our church. Our text is Titus 2.15, Titus 2.15, and this brief verse, very brief verse, will help all of us to clarify what the role of a Christian leader is supposed to be in this congregation. And this is especially important as we move closer to a, to a change in, uh, in uh, things coming up here in the next few months. You see, if leaders don't know what their roles are, and the congregation doesn't know what their role is, there's going to be some challenges. You've got to get everything in order. You've got to know what's going on. I read of a young man, he went into a candy store, and he ordered three boxes of candy. Had one great big large one, had one medium, one tiny small box of candy. And uh, the owner of the store was curious. He said, why do, you, why do you want three boxes like this? And he said, well, I've got my first date tonight. And if it's an average kind of date, then I'm going to give her the small box of candy. And if it's a really good date, you know, and, and uh, she lets me hold her hand, I'm going to kind of give her the medium box. And if she's really affectionate, lets me kiss her, I'm going to give her this large box of candy. So he went to the girls' home that night, ate family, dinner with the family and everything. And when he was there, they asked him to do the blessing for the prayer, for the table, for the meal. And he prayed. And he prayed. And he prayed. And finally got done. And after dinner, he and the young lady went for a walk. And she asked him, she said, I had no idea that you were so spiritual. And he said, you know, I had no idea your father owned a candy store. You see, when you're not clear on things about what the roles are and how it all fits together, it can cause all kinds of challenges. So I want us to look with Paul at the counsel that he gives to Titus here and to us as we think about the Christian leader's three primary responsibilities. According to Titus 2, verse 15, first, Paul wanted Titus to know how to teach. He wanted to encourage him. He said, this then, these are the things that you should teach. Now, he'd already listed a bunch of those. We've talked about some of them. But what, what kind of things were they, though? Well, he admonished Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. He said to him, he said, you preach the word. He said, you be prepared in season, out of season. You correct, you rebuke, and you encourage. And you do it with great patience and careful instruction. You see, we're to be students of the word, and when you come to church and, or Bible studies, we have a study going on downstairs now, you ought to learn something about the Bible. That's what our focus is. It doesn't mean that you may hear something new every single week, but we all need reminders of the basics of the Christian faith. And it also means that you and I are to always be learning. Did you pick up on that? I mean, you don't just kind of come and get little bites of this thing on Sundays, but we are to be students of the Word. How the basics of the Christian faith should be very familiar to you. And that doesn't mean you and I are always you know, going to be learning new things necessarily about God because the scriptures are, are full. You can never exhaust it. But basically, what are his requirements for your life? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
Bible has incredible power when it is taught. And that's the reason why most of the time Nick and I try to preach verse by verse through different books of the Bible. When Scripture is taught, it has a power to penetrate the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. However, also when we preach, you've got to do more than just relate facts to everybody. We have to tell you what the Bible says, and we have to encourage you to understand how it applies to your life. Theologian John Stott once said, It is a minister's task to build a bridge between the biblical world and the modern world. One of my teachers in Bible college was a man named Bob Shannon. And he used to say, I never go into the pulpit to explain a passage. I go into the pulpit to meet a need. Now it just so happens that for every need, there's a passage. And when you get the two of them together, then something really amazing happens in preaching. And in chapter 2 of Titus, the Apostle Paul spent most of his words laying out the content Titus was to teach Christians at the church in Crete. Teaching was a big deal, but that's not the only thing. Secondly, Titus was to be an encourager. He was to encourage Now, I don't think I have to convince you here today that we Christians need encouragement. I think we probably understand that pretty clearly. The world we live in really, really makes it easy to get discouraged. And then our jobs can get us down sometimes. The the news media is constantly depressing. Our health is not so great. And at times it seems our families are falling apart. And we certainly don't need to hear any bad news when we go to church. We need to hear the good news. And the gospel, by definition and by content, really is good news. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. For everything that was written in Romans 15.4, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that, listen to this, through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, that we'll have hope. And you and I should never come to church or walk out of the church or out of a Bible study feeling beat down all the time. King David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And we want you guys to be glad, not just for the wonderful refreshments that we provide to you every week, not just for the excellent coffee, not just that, but the good fellowship as well, you know, and hopefully worship and opportunities to sing and pray and and to hear God's word proclaimed. Jesus is our model. He was an awesome teacher. They called him rabbi, which actually means good teacher. But he was also an encourager. He said in John 16, 33, In this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome this world. And our task is to give you a love for the Bible and a love for the Lord Jesus Christ and a love for living your life with other believers, and in also being good witnesses to those around you that aren't Christians. People respond a whole lot better and accept criticism much better if it's balanced with encouragement. That's why we don't have a lot of hellfire and damnation sermons. I'm not even sure how to do one of those. It sounds kind of risky in today's culture. So, But, but the, you understand my mind and my point here. Titus was to 
have these responsibilities. He was to teach, he was to encourage, and he reminded him also that it was the minister's responsibility to rebuke. He was also to rebuke. And add to that, he rebuked with all authority. Don't let anybody despise you, that little verse says. Isn't it interesting? Jesus himself said in Revelation 3.19, he referred to those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline them. I mean, have you ever had somebody in your life that's always telling you how great you look? Just not. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Every time they see you, they say, oh, you just look terrific. You just look so good. And even when you just got out of the hospital and you know you look lousy, they still say, you know, you just look terrific, you know. Now, eventually, you know what happens. What they say doesn't really mean that much to you because you, you just don't believe it. You know, they have got to tell you the truth for the praise to be worthwhile. But the pastor needs to be able to rebuke on occasion as well. We don't do it a lot, maybe. Maybe we should do it more. But honestly say, you know, we're not doing so well in this area. We're not understanding maybe some of the, the requirements of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a member of a church. You know, the most effective rebukes are not harsh and loud and, and uh, condemning. They can be spoken very quietly and gently. And as in all things, guess who our model is? Jesus himself. He could be pretty stern, like when he, he called the scribes and Pharisees a big bunch of hypocrites and told them, quote, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're clean on the outside, but on the inside, you're just full of dead men's bones. Now, that's not very complimentary. But he was rebuking them, and he, he did it, and then he, he laid it out. But he could also rebuke gently. Like, remember when Simon Peter, remember when he denied him three straight times? Three opportunities to speak up for his Lord. And he said, I don't even know who he is. Not his finest moment. But all Jesus did, he knew all things, He was over there from a distance a little bit. All Jesus did was he turned around and he looked right straight at Peter. He never said a word, but Peter was cut to the heart because he knew he had let his Lord down. Like it or not, sometimes a spiritual leader has to confront sin and and the elders of the church have to deal with things sometimes, but we want to do it gently, but we want to do it in a way that is with a sense of authority, in a sense. And that's, and that's what Paul's telling Titus. When it's appropriate, you, you rebuke with authority. So given the fact that our little sinful hearts lean more toward rebellion than obedience, the question is this. Where does a leader in the church get his authority to do these things we've been talking about? And, and, and what right do we have to tell anybody what to do? A minister I highly respect suggests that a pastor or elder's authority is based on five very simple sources. Five sources. First is the God is God's call on the life of your leader. God has gifted some to teach and preach, the Bible says. And if you sense a person's kind of been gifted in that way and has been called by God to be a pastor, and then you should respect that role. His calling on his life. Number two, 
is the authority that the Bible gives us. The, the minister's opinions are no more binding on the believer than anybody else's opinions. But if the pastor's teaching from the Bible, then we Christians need to humbly respect that and view it as authoritative on your life. It's not the individual, it's not the messenger, it's the message that carries that. But we do speak with some measure of authority when we speak from scriptures. And then the third source of this authority is a life of integrity. There's great power in good men and women who live according to the scriptures. And while none of us are perfect, for sure, it is important that we never sacrifice integrity Never lose our source of authority. That's what's going to happen if we do. And then number four, a life of service. You know, Jesus was really big into this servant thing. Uh, we forget that sometimes. He did not lead by, uh, by imitation, for example. You know, uh, he washed feet. He didn't just talk about it. He did it. He ministered to the hurting. Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28 says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials ex- exercise authority over them. These are horrible examples of leadership. So Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be willing to be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the term ministering involves a willingness to serve other people. So our authority comes not from lording it over others, but trying to serve. And the final source of the minister's authority comes from the support of the church leaders. God has designed the church to be led by a group of men called elders. And the elders are to direct the affairs of the church. And the the minister's authority is only going to be as good as the church leaders who stand behind him. Someone has come up with this little formula. uh, R minus A equals F. Okay, it's really profound. Y'all want to write that down. R minus A equals F. Here's what it means. Responsibility minus authority equals frustration. Equals frustration. If the church leaders undermine a pastor's credibility, if they're disrespectful and the minister has no leverage, he becomes ineffective. But if we all stand together and support, then there's a certain measure of authority that Nick and I have when we stand up here before you. And let me add, you know, we have been blessed, I have been blessed especially to serve in this church for over 30 years. And the leadership of this church goes way, way back. There's actually only one leader that was still in our elder board that was there back then. Some, some of the kids are thinking that's back in the dark ages, you know, back, <laughs> way back then. But uh, this has never been an issue. What I'm sharing this with you is, is so you have a clear understanding of how God's church is supposed to function. And to be pleased and excited and continue to pray for our church as the leadership we have is doing the very best that they can to lead the church biblically, get our egos out of the way, focus on the needs of the, of the church and as we move forward. And it's very important because you don't have a sermon like this very often. Aren't you glad? Yeah, yeah.
But if they stand together in support of those of us that stand up front, then there's a certain measure of authority that we have. If the principal doesn't stand behind the teacher, then the teacher has no authority in the classroom. Does that make sense? You see what I'm talking about? If the board of elders doesn't stand behind the pastor, the, the, the pastor has no authority much in the church. And the elders at Maple Grove have, have authority over you as well as members of the body of Christ here at Maple Grove Christian Church. And they ask you, though we never talk about it, but the assumption is that you will also be submissive to the will of God. We went through a mess several years ago with this COVID thing when it first appeared. And there were restrictions that were being imposed. And there were those in our church that felt like that a church should not have to abide by those restrictions. And so if you, you, know, if you were to wear a mask or you had certain things you had to do, that really frosted some of our members. They're not with us anymore because they were not willing to do what I've just talked about. It's to recognize that the authority in the church is based on honoring God. And we are still, unless they're asking us to do something terrible, you know, like, like shoot somebody, we would also honor the authorities that we have in the, in the secular realm, unless they ask you to do something that's totally unbiblical. There's nothing unbiblical about wearing a mask. And I, I did my very best to keep my mouth shut about all this years ago. You know, this is the first time you've heard about it. And those honorary people aren't even here. God love them. Uh, but I'm just saying it broke my heart to see people f- push back like that. When the body of Christ is supposed to be, we have harmony. We have a leadership team that, that wrestles over these things. These are not arbitrary decisions. It was heartbreaking to see kind of a fracture within our church. And 20, maybe 30 people left us because they didn't want to let the government tell us what to do about wearing a mask even though that mask may keep somebody from being hurt or get that dang disease. Heartbreaking. And I've waited all this time just to tell you that. <laughs> because you guys are still here, you know. I mean, you've already, maybe you didn't even know that went on. But it's sad. And it undermines things immensely. Baseball umpire gets his authority from the commissioner. But if you don't play in the league, he's got no authority over you. A foreman at work gets his authority from the owner. But if you don't work at that business, that guy's got no authority over you. And a minister of a church gets his authority from the church. But if you're not a Christian or part of the church, then in a sense, he has no real authority over you. Especially if you reject that authority and go someplace else. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this. So you'll know I'm not just making this stuff up. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who will give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage, advantage to you at all. Now, how can we do this? This is how you got so what? That's a so what moment when you're in a sermon and you're waiting. Okay, so what? What does this mean? What do we got to do? How can we make this something real in our lives? I have some suggestions for you. How you and I can grow in our respect for leaders, both in the present, but also leaders in the future. Number one, you've got to cultivate a submissive spirit. If you're asked to do something that does not violate your biblical-based convictions, then be cooperative. And I'm so grateful that, that you are. 
you guys roll with it when just as we are rolling with it sometimes. And we've survived having the parking, uh, all this stuff around here. All the it'd be great to see asphalt. Did you ever think you'd be so happy to see asphalt? Now, those of you that live around this place, yeah, you've really been looking for it because it hasn't it affected you nearly as so much others of you. But you know what you do? You follow instructions. You just do what you're asked to do. It is the mature Christian who isn't too proud to be submissive. No matter how important they may be in the secular world, you know, just follow instructions. The Bible commends that kind of cooperation. Number one, just have a submissive spirit. Number two, what will help you do that is you be a student of the Word. You've got to be in the Scriptures. You can't come here and get little, little tidbits that we just throw at you. You've got to be in the Word as well. Don't automatically take everything that preachers say as gospel. Can you believe I said that? Yeah, but don't do it. Don't believe that. Check it out. Check it out. Acts 17, 11, Luke tells us that the Bereans, people who lived in an area called Berea, they were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? For they received the message with great eagerness. And then what did they do? They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You ever done that? You ever take these verses, write them down, and go home and check it out? Every now and then, I'll, I'll have somebody remind me. I said, what, did, did you, what did you mean by that? Or how does that fit with this? And I love it. You know, I don't usually talk to them for a week or two after that. <laughs> but I do appreciate feedback. We really do. We really need that. And there's no, no one that is above the need to be corrected. There's nobody. So be a student of the word. And also remember that the Bible is a Christian source of truth. The Bible is the Christian source of truth. Did, did you hear that? The Bible is the Christian source for truth, not the preacher. You need to be in the Word, just so you can see whether these things are so or not. And then you're to be prayerful. Somebody has said, prayerless pews make powerless pulpits. Make a commitment to pray for our staff and our leaders. Pray that they'll be faithful in our personal lives. Pray we'll always seek God's will, not just ours. Pray that we'll have energy as we lead. Pray we keep our egos out of it. And then number four, be encouraging. There's a story in Exodus 17 about the day that Israel was fighting a bunch of guys called the Amalekites. Lots of ites in the Old Testament. I don't know who these guys were, but they were, Israel was fighting them. And Moses, the leader of all of God's people, he didn't go into the battle. Instead, he stood on the top of a big hill, and he held out the staff of God. This, 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 uh, like a giant walking type stick, but it, within it, uh, it, it had uh, power uh, to re- people recognize that Moses was God's servant, God's spokesman, and he raised up this big staff in the air, and he he, he got to where he was. He couldn't hold it just right. He couldn't hold it firmly, you know. His arm got tired. He was getting old, you know. The Bible tells us, Exodus seventeen eleven. as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, then the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, 
They took a stone, put it under him, and he sat down. And Aaron and her, they stood on either side of him, held his hands up, one on each side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua, who was fighting the battles, overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And what I want to say to you today is, that is still a much needed job for you, is that you hold us up. You hold us up, not necessarily physically, but you hold us up in your prayers. You hold us up in your your. your uh, participation and your understanding of things and you want to be a part of this body because it, it, it we want to be a biblical church we don't just want to talk about religious things we want to talk about jesus things bible things the, the life of a christian church is embodied in those of you who come here every week and and by your attendance and your faithfulness you hold our hands up you hold us up and we so need that because we are just human beings. Y'all know that. For heaven's sake, I'm a Kentuckian, you know? <laughs> you know, we need you to recognize that this is not a mundane thing you do on Sunday morning and then go off and forget about it all. We want our church to always be the center of the will of God. And the only way we can do that as fallible human beings is if Jesus... And his word, if they're not in the center as well. It's one thing, we can be religious all we want. But that's not what we want. We might be called to be involved with a religion. Christianity is a relationship. Totally different. The rituals and goofy things that religious people do have no, no foundation in Scripture. And that's what we want our church to be. It's what we must, if we're going to prepare for the future... That's what we, we have to be. Because change is coming. You understand that. It's coming. Less than six months. And the elders are working diligently to prepare for the changes that are coming. It's time for a changing of the guard. And they're praying, and we want you to pray. Uh, we're getting counsel from other places, other congregations, as we go through this. Because this is uncharted waters. This is uncharted waters for all of us, to be honest. But if we're going to hang on to the truth and we're going to be what we've described here today, recognizing who the real authority is, it's not men, it's God. The real power is not us. We're frail, but the Holy Spirit, he provides the power. And that means that when we're in the center of God's will, then this whole transition thing, we'll, we'll look back on it one day and say, you know, wasn't it neat how God just took that and guided us all the way through because we were willing to trust him, be submissive, honor, understand what it is to, to be under authority and to love God so much that we'll settle, we'll do anything we can to get by but we will know that we're making God happy with what Maple Grove's doing. Now, that's my personal prayer to God. And I will continue to pray that as we move forward into the next few months. Amen? That's not a good thing to do? All right, let me pray with us, and then we're going to have to take communion time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. This, this, this little guy named Titus and his little church he had there on this island is still speaking truth to us. 
because of the direction and the guidance that was given through the Apostle Paul, who you instructed, you filled him with your spirit. And he taught this young man how to go into a very difficult place to minister and yet to come out of it faithful, strong, committed. And Christians were born and continued to grow. And to this day, to this day, there's a church on the island of Crete because of, those, of their labors. And so, Father, as we look to our situation, help us, Father, look beyond the doors of this building. But let us look to the ministry of this church and all of the new, exciting things that you have planned for us. And, Lord, just help us take your hand and you hold up ours as we go forward in your strength and in your will. That's my prayer. And as we come around your table, Lord, to have communion, may this not just be something we do every week by habit. It has tremendous, tremendous impact as a church as we humble ourselves and we remember what Jesus did. His body was broken, hung on a cross. His blood poured out. None of us were there physically, but all of us have been profoundly impacted by what Jesus' death did. He took our place. And Lord, help us as we take communion not to just race through the process necessarily, but help us understand what it, is, what it means. We're remembering that scarred and broken body. We're remembering that poured out blood that was shed on that cross to do away with sin to pay the price for sin. And Lord, we're all sinners. We just come equipped with that if we're human. And yet Jesus said, no, it's not my will, Father, but yours be done. And it's with that same spirit of submission that we come around your table today. And we ask for us to be especially thoughtful as we drink of the cup and we eat of the bread as we commune with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.